Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you all. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jonathan, and uh, oh, it is good to be here, uh, and it's good to be able to see you. Uh, it, it's, it's exciting. I can actually see that some of you are, in fact, smiling at me. Um, I can also see some of you are, in fact, frowning at me as well. That's great. I, I love it. No, it's, it's, it's wonderful to be here, and, uh, and congratulations. You guys made it here even on, uh, on Daylight Savings Weekend when everything is changing around. Uh, you guys made it in. And I'm so, so glad, so grateful to be here and to be able to worship with you all. I I don't know about you. Whenever there is a deadline coming up, I I always want to be as early as possible. That's probably just something that was, I don't know, ingrained in me from from early childhood. My my parents' motto was, if you are are not early, you're already late, right? They they, they just, we were always ahead of time, no matter what we were doing. I I remember very vividly uh, having to drive my dad to the airport. Uh, we agreed I had to, uh, we were going to leave at 7 a.m. 7 a.m. we're going to leave and I'm going to drive him there. I'm just coming straight back home. And at 6.30 in the morning, all of a sudden my dad bursts into my room and goes, why aren't you up yet? And I'm like, because I'm just driving you. Like I'm going to go in my pajamas and I will get breakfast on the way home, right? But he needed to leave ahead of time. And so sure enough, quarter to seven, we were in the car leaving for the airport, right? That is just how my family operated. Right? We, we always wanted to be ahead of it. But, but the truth is, deadlines always exist. Right? We, we encounter deadlines all over the place. Whether it's in school, you have deadlines for homework. At work, you've got deadlines for, for projects. Even, even tax season is coming, and there are deadlines that, that you need to make sure that you are making. I don't know when they are. Don't ask me. Um, <laughs> but we'll make them. <laughs> right? But I have to say, that the worst kind of deadline is, is when you don't know there's a deadline. Right? That is far more worrying than, than knowing there's a deadline that you have to meet. Early on in the adoption process uh, for, for my wife and I, we actually got a letter home saying, uh, Dear Jonathan and Corinna, this letter is to inform you that you have been removed from the adoption program. And we went, what? And so we called up our social worker and said, what's going on here? And they said, well, you missed a deadline. You were supposed to turn in you know, these, these documents, these forms, and so that's passed, and so you were removed. And we said... We didn't know there was a deadline. What are you talking about? And so we ended up having, thankfully, we were able to continue on, but we had to end up doing a whole bunch of work and explain, you know, why did we miss this deadline? Okay, is there a valid reason? All this sort of stuff. We had to really work at that one, right? It's not fun when you don't even realize there is a deadline coming. And, and I think part of the issue with a lot of times with deadlines is we kind of look at them and we're like, ah, they're fairly arbitrary, Right? Why is, why is the homework assignment due on Wednesday and not Thursday? Is it a whole big deal, right? Is it a big deal if I, if I push things, one thing off just a little bit further? Sometimes it is arbitrary. Other times it's really not, right? We have physical deadlines. You need to eat at some point. There's a deadline you have in your life every single day. You, you need to eat something to continue on living, right? You need to breathe. You need to drink water. All of those things are deadlines whether we really think about them or not. Or some of you I know are doing potty training right now, and you're trying to teach your children about this deadline that their body has, right? And you're trying to make sure, go to the bathroom before that deadline happens, right? It's a good thing to learn, right? Maybe you have medication. You need to take that medication on a deadline. There's all kinds of things, but, but by far, the, the worst thing that you could come to with any deadline is, well, a deadline you can't move that you don't really know about, 
right? That, that would be far more scary. And in fact, really, that's what our text is all about this morning. Jesus is giving his disciples a warning about a deadline that is coming up that they may not have been aware about. One day, everyone is going to stand before God. It's a deadline no one can move, and, and we don't always know when exactly it will come. And so Jesus gives his disciples a warning about what is to come, and really a call to be ready for it. So if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning, starting in verse 49. We just heard our text read And we are continuing on in this series in the Gospel of Luke, uh, walking with Jesus towards the cross, right? We started last week, we looked at at Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He, he, He determines himself, all right, I am going to go to Jerusalem. And he knows what's going to happen when he gets there. He will go to the cross. And so in this time, he begins to really teach his disciples, what does it look like to be his follower, What does it look like to actually follow after Jesus? What is it going to cost? What is it going to look like? And and really this morning he's giving us a warning, right? Now we've heard the text read and so I don't know if you caught all of it, but this is a heavy text, isn't it? Right? This, is a, this is a weighty one. Jesus, Jesus actually has some pretty, some pretty harsh, some pretty surprising things for us to hear. And some things we wouldn't really expect Jesus to be saying. And yet I, I think that's the point for us. We need to hear that warning because we don't always expect it. Jesus gives us in this passage a warning of what's to come, this coming judgment. But ultimately he's there to tell us about salvation from it. And really calls us to respond and to share what he has done. Jesus warns us, he saves us, and calls us to follow him. So that's what we're going to look at this morning as we walk through this passage. But, but we really have to start with the tough stuff here, all right? We're, we're starting with, well, with fire and judgment. This is the stuff that, I'll be honest, no one really likes to preach on. But nonetheless, here it is in our text. Verse 49, look at it with me. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I'm going to say this is one of the most surprising things to hear out of the mouth of Jesus, that that he came to cast fire on the earth. I mean, if you remember, if you were with us here last week, we literally looked at this, right? James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, were, were asking Jesus after they had been kind of, you know, treated rudely, And they said, hey, Jesus, should we call fire to rain down on them? And Jesus rebukes them for it. Now, just a a few verses, a couple chapters later, what do we find? Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth. So so what exactly is Jesus talking about here? What is he talking about? And and maybe another question we really need to add in there is, why does he want this to happen? Right, the second half of that verse says, oh, and would that it were already kindled. What is Jesus talking about? Why does he want this to happen? So, so really, if we're going to start here, we've got to do a little bit of digging, a little bit of work here to understand. All right? See, here's the, the tricky part. The Bible talks about fire in different ways, in different parts of the Bible. Right? Sometimes when the Bible talks about fire, it's talking about, well, coming of the Holy Spirit, right? Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples and it rests above them as tongues of fire. Is that what Jesus is talking about? And that that changes the whole understanding of this passage, right? I mean, wow, that that would be a whole different kind of 
passage talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And actually, that would make sense, wouldn't it? That is what Jesus does. He sends the Holy Spirit to us. In other parts of the Bible, we read about fire in terms of refining fire. God purifies us. He, 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 he brings this sort of fire, this turmoil in our lives, but ultimately it's, it's this purifying agent that gets rid of all the impurities in our own lives. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Again, Jesus does that in our life, so, so is that what he's referring to? But of course, the final way the Bible talks about fire, or at least the third one I'm going to mention here, is that fire is sometimes referred to in judgment. It's, it's the means, it's the picture of, of God's judgment against sin. And so we have to ask the question, well, which is it here? Because all of those could be and are what Jesus does. So what's he talking about? And so if you have taken Bible basics, hopefully you are able to figure that one out. It's not a plug for the class, but maybe it is. <laughs> Well, we look at our context. What's Jesus been talking about? We dropped right into the middle of a chapter, so what's Jesus talking about? All you have to do is back up just into the previous section. Previous section uh, uh, is Jesus telling his disciples a parable, right? It's the story to, to teach a point, and he, he tells this story about a master who goes away to a feast. Master is going away, and he leaves behind his servants, and he says, I want you to be ready for when I come home get everything prepared and, and ready for my return. But he doesn't tell them when he's coming back, right? And so some of the servants are, are, are getting ready. Others start to get lazy. Why should I do that? He's never coming back. It'll take him forever. We have time. And so they start kicking their feet back up and they start, you know, relaxing. They start even ordering around the other servants. But when the master arrives home, he praises those who are ready and he punishes those who are not. Verse 40 is the summary Jesus gives us. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. What's Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about his second coming. He's talking about when Jesus actually returns. And so the context here is, is actually demanding one particular interpretation of this. It's, it's the lens of judgment. When Jesus talks about casting fire on earth, he's talking about actually bringing judgment on earth. But, but here is where we're really challenged with that because isn't that exactly what Jesus said he wasn't going to do, right? John three seventeen, Jesus says, I didn't come to judge, but instead to save the world. Why is it that Jesus says, I came now to bring this judgment and here's where it's so important. It's so important for us to, to start to understand Jesus gets to define himself. See, sometimes we begin to build up this picture of who Jesus is in our minds. And every once in a while, as we start reading the text, as we start reading the Bible, actually Jesus begins to challenge that picture we have. Listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 12. He says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So far, so good. That sounds exactly like we, we, what we would expect Jesus to say, but he continues in the next verse. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. See, Jesus makes two things very clear. The purpose of his coming, right, of him being on the earth was not to bring judgment there and then, but he's also very clear that there is a day of judgment. 
that, that actually judgment is still going to happen. In fact, even his own words will stand against some people on that day. Listen to how John the Baptist announces the coming of Jesus in Luke chapter three. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. See, the coming of Jesus is both really good news and really frightening at the same time. The coming of Jesus marks the sign that actually judgment is going to come on earth. There is a judgment against sin that will happen. God will, in fact, punish sin. And actually, Jesus' first coming is the sign he's going to come again. And so here's the question I want to ask. If that's what Jesus is saying, why does he want that? Is he looking forward to this kind of judgment? Is he, is he maliciously kind of you know, rubbing his hands saying, oh, I can't wait till that day? Well, no, I don't, think that's, I don't think that's what's in mind here. Why would anyone look forward to, to this time of, of judgment? I think the question seems really problematic at first, but if we start thinking a little bit about it, I think we can see an answer really quick, can't we? We see evil around us all the time, don't we? We see suffering, we see cruelty happen. All we have to do is look to what's going on on the other side of the world, right? Look at Ukraine, Russia. Do we not wish, God, would you not bring justice there? Would you not bring peace and put an end to all of this evil and suffering that's happening? Should we not long for that when there is no more? When the chaos that seems to always dominate the world isn't going to be there, that would be a good thing. I mean, who better than God himself to actually judge in in righteousness, to bring true judgment, right? How often our own human courts miss the point or they're corrupt or they're simply ineffective to actually bring about true justice. Psalm 96 says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Finally, a judge will come who can actually do this right. That is a good thing. It is a good thing when God will actually be rid of all sin and evil. But the problem is that includes us. As much as we, we long for the day when we say, I, I can't wait for, for, for all of the suffering to be done and dealt with, we have to recognize that actually there's sin in our own lives. There's things we have done that have not been good. And if God is going to deal with all of sin, that means he's got to deal with us as well. That means we're on the chopping block of God's judgment. Everyone, no one is outside of God's judgment. And so this is a problem for us. If Jesus is coming back and he's bringing a judgment of fire, We need to know about that. 
We actually need to know about that deadline. See, Jesus talks about judgment. He talks about hell more than any other person in the entire Bible. Right? More than anyone else, he's the one who who talks about this and even describes it more than anyone else. The description we just read was unquenchable fire. Hell is not the joking matter we so often make it. It is a stomach-turning reality. One we, we often pretend isn't real. And so here's where it's, it is a good thing for Jesus to give us these warnings every once in a while and to call us to, to remember actually what is going to happen, the warning of what is here. But here's my question. Why does Jesus talk about this more than anyone else? Why does Jesus describe and, and deal with, with God's punishment against sin more than anyone? Why is he telling his disciples he came to cast fire on the earth? Well, it's because Jesus is the one who's actually going to do something about it. Jesus starts with this warning because he is also the one who can save us from it. The warning comes with a hope. And so our second point this morning, Jesus actually brings salvation from judgment. Look back at verse 50 with me. Jesus continues, he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Right? In a parallel way to the last verse, Jesus is telling his disciples about why he came, what he had come to do. Jesus came not just to, to warn us about judgment that was coming, but actually ultimately to save us. Jesus says, I have a baptism that I'm going to be baptized with. Right now, now, let's be clear, Jesus had already been baptized once, right? John the Baptist had baptized Jesus, right? I'm saying baptized a lot, all right? He'd already been baptized once. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking ultimately about not a baptism of water, but, but one of the wrath of God. Mark chapter 10 Jesus' disciples are, are discussing amongst themselves who, who's really the greatest. Who's going to sit beside Jesus in the kingdom of heaven? And, and Jesus kind of rebukes them, says, you don't know what you're asking, right? Mark 10, verse 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized? See, all throughout the Old Testament, the prophets would often talk about this cup that was filling up with God's wrath. All of God's wrath against sin. And one day, they said, it's going to be poured out. The the cup of God's wrath is going to be poured out. And what Jesus is telling his disciples is, that is what I have come to deal with. On the cross, he would actually take the full wrath of God against sin. The fire of judgment that would be cast on the earth would first fall on Jesus. What Jesus does on the cross is actually take that punishment for our sin. Romans chapter 3, Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Lots of big theological words, but the the one I want us to notice there is the last propitiation. It's a word we don't really use outside of the Bible. It means a wrath-bearing sacrifice. 
What Paul is saying is that what Jesus did is to actually offer himself up as a sacrifice to take the weight of God's wrath against sin. The punishment for our sins has fallen on Jesus. That's why Jesus says, I am distressed until it is accomplished. Jesus knows what it is he is going to do and he is not comfortable with it. Jesus bore the wrath of God against sin in his own body on the cross so that anyone who trusts in him would be saved. For anyone who would trust in him, the punishment for your sins does not fall on you, but has fallen on Jesus. Jesus begins with this strict warning, but he tells us that there is a better hope coming. The good news that we trust, the good news we proclaim to everyone is that our sins are dealt with by Jesus on the cross. And so that when we approach God, it is no longer on the basis of all the wrong things we've done, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. That we would have acceptance, grace, love, mercy, peace with God because of Jesus. And so this is the point where we'd almost say, all right, I mean, I'm expecting everything just to be great and good from this point forward. Should I not expect my life will just get better in every way possible? And here's where Jesus throws this incredible wrench into that line of thinking with one question, verse 51. Do you think that I've come to bring peace, to, to give peace on earth? Yeah? I mean, isn't, isn't that why you came, Jesus? Isn't, isn't that what the angels declare at, at the birth of Jesus, right? Peace on earth? Isn't that exactly what we've just been talking about? Peace with God? I mean, how is that not the answer? Jesus says, no, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. <laughs> Jesus is pretty clear. Actually, he, he is going to create a division here. Verse 53, they will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Some of those you might think are more natural than others. <laughs> but Jesus' point here is actually that dividing line is going to run right through families themselves. And actually, all we have to do is really think about Why? What has Jesus just declared? Jesus has just declared, if he is the one who is going to deal with our sins, it means he's drawing a dividing line across all of humanity. He's drawing one dividing line. It's, it's how are we responding to Jesus? Do we trust in him and are our sins saved? Or do we reject him and actually await that judgment? The cross actually creates a massive dividing line that separates all of humanity to those who trust in him and those who don't. In fact, Paul will put it this way when he writes in the book of Galatians. He says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Now, I'm not going to go into all the background of what he's talking about there, but just take that last bit there, the offense of the cross. Paul is making the point, actually, the cross is offensive. It's always been offensive. Even at that time, it was offensive for all different kinds of reasons. Today, it's offensive because it, it actually claims that we are sinful people, right? 
That, that Jesus needed to go to the cross to deal with our sins because we were not good enough. Actually, the cross tells us that we were helpless to do it ourselves. We weren't good enough to to work our way to God. We actually needed Jesus to deal with that. In fact, the cross is offensive because it says Jesus is the only way. He's the only one who has dealt with our sins. The cross is offensive. We like to think of ourselves as good people who can do things ourselves, who are capable, right? We're self-sufficient and we're not that bad. And the message of the cross really stands against a lot of that. It creates divides and in fact, even sometimes creates separations. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Paul's point is the gospel either smells like a sweet aroma of life or it smells like death. The cross divides people. How we respond to Jesus is this dividing line that stretches across all of humanity, even through families. We talked about this last week already. But actually following Jesus becomes the the highest priority in our lives over everything else. But here's what I I need us to, to realize here. Jesus says that the cross is going to create this dividing line, this division. It does not create hostility. And I mean that for for us who, who have trusted in Jesus Christ. This is not some line that we go out and draw. This is not an excuse for us to then say, well, great, if you don't agree with me, I don't have to ever see you again. I can reject you. I can shun you. I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to treat you well. You're on the other side. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is giving us a warning. What does it look like to follow him? It means at some times you you may have to choose Jesus even over family. That, that to trust in him might actually cause a separation where you didn't want one before. You got to realize what that means. But what it also does is it clarifies the mission, doesn't it? It clarifies who we are called to reach out to. See, sometimes we get trapped in this line of thinking that says, you know, my neighbors, they're good people. They're good people. They pick up my trash can when the wind blows it away, right? They're nice. They... they they're not murderers. They seem good. Why am I, why would I threaten my relationship with them to, to actually bring up Jesus? They're doing pretty good. Why should I bring it up in my, in my, in my office? I mean, I don't want to make everything uncomfortable just to talk about Jesus. I don't want to be the guy on the job site that goes to church, right? Like, I, I don't want to be that. Do I really have to do that? And I think what Jesus is telling us here is he's actually clarifying not only what it looks like to follow him, but also where the mission lies. Actually, that Jesus creates a division. We either trust in him or we do not. There is a judgment coming. And if Jesus alone is the one who has taken the punishment in our place, it means everyone who does not know and trust in Jesus needs to hear of him. Needs to come and wrestle. What will we do with Jesus? How do we respond? And really, this brings us to the final section in our passage this morning. 
Jesus gives us a warning. He tells us of the hope we have in salvation, and then he invites us to respond to salvation. Look with me, verse 54. He said also to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. So it happens. When you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. Right? Jesus is, is starting off telling them things they already know. Right? That if you want to know what the weather is going to be like, you look up at the sky and figure out what is the weather going to be like. I find this one really ironic because if someone asks me what the weather is, I actually look down at my phone. <laughs> right? I don't look up at the sky, but I mean, we understand the, the idea here. And actually, they did far better than us. Right? If the wind was blowing from the west, it meant it was coming from the Mediterranean Sea, the clouds would bring rain. If it was blowing from the south, that it's from the desert, it's going to be hot and scorching. They could look at what was happening around them, and they could understand what they needed to do. They could interpret the signs of what was happening, and they could actually prepare. Verse 56, Jesus says, You hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but you do not know how to interpret this present time. Right? Jesus calls them out for their ignorance. Right? Jesus says, you figured out the weather. You figured out what it all means and how it's working together. But when it comes to spiritual realities, you're still clueless. Right? Here is Jesus. They're literally staring at him in the face. They've seen him heal people by touching them or just speaking a word. They've heard him say, I came from the Father. The Father and I are one. And they're looking at him and they're going, I don't know what to do with this guy. I mean, what's going on? Jesus says, do you not get it? Do you not understand what am I doing here? Can you not interpret these signs? And I think as much as, as we might want to say, yeah, how could you miss that? I think we are liable to do the exact same thing. We, we, we might not be able to pick up the weather, but, but I think we've gotten pretty good in other ways, right? Especially when it comes to things around, around health, right? We've all gotten much better at, at recognizing, you know, what are the signs of, of when you're going to be getting sick, right? What are, the, what are the markers that you see? Right? We've gotten used to looking out for those things at this point. Right? If someone says, you know, my chest is, is really tight and I can't move my arm, we're saying, okay, you got a heart attack. Right? Someone says, I'm, I'm smelling burnt toast and I can't speak right. You're like, all right, you're having a stroke. Right? We recognize the signs that are happening. Even when it comes to things like mental illnesses, where we've gotten far better at recognizing signs. We can see someone's behavior and we can interpret what's going on and be able to help and support in different ways. Yet so often we're still blind to the spiritual realities. Do we recognize what God is doing in our time? We hear God say, there's a judgment coming. We say, ah, it's been 2,000 years. Is God really doing anything? I mean, surely if he was going to deal with sin and, and all the problems on earth, wouldn't he have done it by now? Peter writes in the book of 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Do we recognize what God is doing? Do we recognize God's patience in our lives? Sometimes even in our own sin habits where we think, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm getting away with it. I'm pretty sure no one notices what I'm doing. I'm pretty sure it's not a big deal because if it was, God would have punished me instead of recognizing the sign of what God is doing. Is he being patient so that you can repent? 
to being patient so that we can actually turn to Jesus to come and hear what God is doing. God has ordained this is the time of salvation, that Jesus would be proclaimed. Second Corinthians, Paul writes, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Paul's point is, right now, right now is the time of salvation. Right now is when we are called to go and preach this good news. So what do we do with this? Well, first of all, we respond to it. Do you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you repented of your sin? Jesus tells us there is a judgment coming, not just on the the, the really bad people out there, but on everyone. And the good news is that Jesus has taken that punishment for everyone who would trust in him. That message is open today. That is for us, and God is patiently waiting that we might respond to it. Look, I I don't know what happens tomorrow. Right? Our passage says actually today is the day of salvation. None of us are guaranteed what's going to happen tomorrow. And I don't know about you, but I I, when I was younger, I I was a I was a convinced I was going to be a deathbed conversion. I was going to wait right until the very end on that deathbed, say a few prayers, done. That was my plan. And then my uncle was killed in a car accident on the way to the grocery store. I remember sitting at that funeral realizing he didn't have a deathbed. And that it came when he was not expecting it at all. I realized I needed to deal with Jesus now. It wasn't something I needed to wait on, but actually I needed to to deal with Jesus because I needed my sins forgiven. Hear me, that is the invitation that is open today. Today is that day. And today is the day we are called to share that message. If you know Jesus, we're called today, share this good news of what Jesus has done because you might not get the chance later. It doesn't mean that we should be standing out on the streets with a sign that says judgment is coming, right? We've seen those pictures. It's problematic for just so many reasons. One, no one listens. Two, you look crazy. And three, most importantly, that's not the message. That's not what we're called to to preach. Jesus didn't send his church and say, go condemn the earth, but rather spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Salvation is what we're called to preach. Actually, that we are saved from that judgment. That is what God has called us to go out and proclaim. So let us be creative in how we do that. Let us get to know our neighbors, our coworkers, so that we can actually speak into their lives. How can I share Jesus with them the very best? How can I show it to them in my life? We ought to be horrified by the thought of showing up at heaven's gates alone. As if we heard the greatest news in the world and said, I'm good, I'll just keep it. Jesus warns us there's a deadline for us to to respond to it, but also to share it. That we are called to deal with Jesus. So let us be bold. Let us be willing to share this message. Yes, are we going to have to face some division at times? Yeah. 
It's part of what it means to put Jesus first in our lives. But what that does is make the mission even clearer. Let's not stay hidden on our side, but go courageously forth that the gospel might be heard and believed and loved and known. Jesus warns us that there is a judgment coming, but he also tells us of the salvation that is before us so that we might respond to him and call others to follow him as well. Let's pray together. Our heavenly father, Father, thank you for giving us warnings. Thank you for for waking us up every once in a while from from not allowing us to get too comfortable. But Father, that you challenge us, that you challenge us to to respond, to deal with with the reality of of what is coming. Lord, that you challenge us to to respond to this amazing news in Jesus Christ and that you call us to go out and share this with others. Father, I pray, would you find us faithful to that task? Give us boldness and courage to go forth. And Lord, give us opportunities to share your gospel. Lord, let us not be lazy in our evangelism, but Lord, would we long to go out and share this good news of salvation for all people. We ask these things in your name. Amen.